Well, what messages have influenced who you are and uh, what influences uh, and messages have shaped your character? Let me ask you that question one more time. What messages have influenced who you are and what influences have contributed to shape your character? For example, when I was a little kid, uh, my mom uh, was the voice of the messages. This is right, this is wrong. This is what we do, this is what we don't do. And uh, uh, my dad and uh, aunts and uncles and grandparents, teachers, coaches. Uh, whose voices are still in your head? Can you hear teachers or, 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 or coaches uh, or members of your family instructing you, uh, giving you uh, input, telling you what to do or not to do? Um, how about the things you've read uh, or the movies you've seen or the songs you've listened to? What are all those inputs uh, that you can identify and remember that have helped shape who you are, uh, how you approach life, uh, your beliefs, your values, your moral standards, your ethical behaviors? Uh, where did you learn those things? Or is it just simply by osmosis they've all sort of seeped into you? Uh, this is a big question. Uh, if we can't determine why we believe what we believe and how we become who we are, it's probably just life events and social pressures and influential people, popular culture, and even our habits that cumulatively have brought us to the place we are. The problem with that, it's undifferentiated, and we don't have any uh, sense of sorting those out very well. And so we're like a leaf in a stream, uh, a feather in the wind. We're just blown around. Uh, one of the most important things we can do in life is, is at some point say, why do I believe what I believe? Because that sets us up to answer the question, well, why do I do what I do? Uh, the um, conventional wisdom is that we get about 5,000 messages a day. Now, those would include you know, labels on clothing, um, T-shirts with slogans, uh, ads, obviously, uh, conversations. But, but somewhere uh, 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 in, in the range of thousands of messages uh, come our way. Most of them we ignore, we don't think about, but a lot of those messages end up seeping in uh, to our thinking. Of course, that's what advertisers want. You might not think you want that or need that, but they want to keep that brand in front of you. And so what happens when we start to uh, get, get serious about uh, sorting things out, it's a little bit complicated to say, why do I believe what I believe? Well, uh, as we talk about Jesus having risen from the dead, and the implications of that, now what? Christ is risen, now what? Uh, what we want to do is reflect on the messages that shape our character, and, and the primary message being the Word of God. So let's, let's jump in. Uh, having previously listed some sins and some virtues uh, uh, in his letter to the Colossians, hey, don't do these things, do these things, uh, the Apostle Paul instructs them in Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 to 17. He says this, Let the word, the message of Christ, dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. He's already said, look, here's the behaviors you used to have before you came to know Christ. Here's the behaviors and the qualities you want to embrace in Christ. And now he's saying, here's how you get there. Let the word... Uh, the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father 
through him. That's Colossians 3, verses 16 to 17. Uh, well, let's unpack that. And, and so the, the first point of, the, uh, of, of this message is this. The message of Jesus demands our attention above all others. The message of Jesus demands our attention above all others. That is, that's the voice we want to discern and listen to. His word is, is the means by which we want to evaluate uh, everything that we believe and everything we do. Uh, as I said, we're constantly bombarded by messages delivered by a variety of, uh, a variety of, of media. Uh, but the most important medium that we can uh, hold on to is the Word of God. Why? Well, because if it is the Word of God, it's a revealed Word giving us knowledge and information leading to wisdom that comes from outside of us and doesn't fit into our uh, regular epistemology. Epistemology is just, how do you know what you know? Well, from what I've seen and what I've experienced, what I've heard, delivered in a, in a lot of ways, a lot of media. Which one is the most important one? There's a lot of important messages that we have to deal with in life, understandably so. But ultimately, how do we sort those out? And so the Word of God, the revealed Word of God, uh, to use the, the Latin phrase, is extra nos. It's outside of us. And God reveals things that we wouldn't know otherwise. Now, the qualities that Paul has been talking to the Colossians about would be things that we'd recognize as everyday kind of qualities. Either the sins, which are anti-qualities, or, or these qualities that, that we say, oh gosh, yes, I'd like to be more compassionate, humble, patient, etc. But the source for, for that is that we have been created in God's image with the capacity to process content from Him that we then apply in the, in the world. Having been uh, cut off from that in the, in the brokenness of the relationship between humanity and God, we have all this data, but we don't have a way of sorting it out and organizing it in, in ways that would allow us to be discerning. And so it's essential that we learn to discern the voice of God among so many other voices so that we don't miss important messages from wherever they come, but that we're, we're seeing all of them in the larger context of God's message to us. Everything from you are a beloved child of God to, hey, you're lost without Him, uh, etc. So what do you do to listen to God and learn from Him? Let's get personal. What do you do to listen to God? What do you do to learn from God? If we don't think about that, if we don't process that, we will probably assume that whatever we're thinking is, is God, because I'm thinking it. We have the infinite capacity for rationalization. But God's Word corrects our rationalization. It clarifies the voices that we hear in our head and the message that we receive throughout the day. So what do you do to listen to God and learn from Him? Followers of Jesus turn to the Bible. Why? Uh, because we believe the Bible tells us what is real, true, and good from God's perspective. Yes, it speaks to human uh, culture. It speaks to, to human uh, uh, interactions, of course. It's, 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 it's spoken into a world that God has created. And it's meant to help us navigate our way through that world. We won't, grow wise, we won't grow wise without the true message of Christ. This is a phrase that Paul used in chapter 1 of his letter to the Colossians. Uh, the Colossians. Uh, and by the way, the, the, the letters 
the, the Bible wasn't written with numbers attached to it. That's a later addition to help us sort things out. So in this letter to the Colossians, in the very beginning of that letter, several sentences in, uh, Paul talks about the true message of Christ. So in the first chapter he's established and summarized what that is. And so without that message uh, from the incarnate, the, the living Word of God, we won't grow wise. Why? Because we'll have a lot of undifferentiated information. We won't know exactly how to prioritize it and how to see the core of it that is meant to make us wise. Not just knowledgeable, filled with facts, filled with content, but wise, knowing how to handle it properly as we live our lives. And so that's why we read the Word of God, the Bible. That's why we take time to reflect on it, to meditate on it, to memorize it. And that's why we discuss it and teach it, because we want to learn to apply it wisely. So this big idea being that the message of Jesus demands our attention above all others. Otherwise, we miss the way that we understand and and properly interpret all the messages we receive in life. So Paul outlines the true message of the gospel, as I said, in in the first chapter of Colossians. And then here in chapter 3, verses 16 to 17, he gives us some instructions. He says, let the, the word, the logos, in this case the message of Christ, dwell among you richly. Let it inhabit you. Let it dwell among you. Let it be part of your actual life, the, the world in which you live every day. Let it dwell among you richly. So how, it needs to be abundantly alive in us. That is, we have access to it, but as long as it's on a shelf or, or in, a, in a drawer, uh, it's not very helpful. But as soon as we open it up, we see the richness, the abundance uh, of what God wants to teach us. And we want that word to speak into our disorder, if you're, if you're going through a 12-step program, that's a great process of recovery, but you also need a process of discovery. And so as you're reading the Word of God in the midst of your disorder, it helps orient you to what's real, good, true, beautiful, right, and wise. In the midst of your ordered life, where your life is going really well, the Word of God speaks into that to say, uh, to affirm and confirm, this is good, keep doing this. Here's some things you can do to build on this good order of your life. It's in the midst of our dreams and hopes and aspirations that the Word of God gives clarity and shape. Uh, It speaks to our fears. So as we are feeling fear and we're reading the Word of God, the Word of God gives us confidence, first of all, to face those fears, but then the discernment we need to say, do I really need to be afraid of this? And if, if it is something that is threatening to me, how can I deal with it wisely? He says, so let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach. The assumption here being that as we're um, enjoying uh, and, and indulging ourselves in this feast of God's Word, we're also then teaching others the Word of God. All of a sudden we realize that, gosh, I have something to offer my children as a parent more than just do this, don't do that. Because inevitably, I, like I did, kids will say, why? Why do we do that? Or why don't we do that? Well, because the Word of God teaches us this. Or, or your friend says, hey, I, I'm really spiritually hungry. Tell me about what it means to be a Christian. You'd say, well, here's what I'm learning from the Word of God. So teaching is both sharing our experience. It's also helping direct people into a pattern and a path that will allow them to thrive and flourish. And so it's instructing, informing, educating, equipping, preparing people for life. Uh, think of the human growth cycle. Uh, our spiritual growth is progressive. We start as, as babes babies and we take toddler steps and little by little the word of God starts to to make sense to us. We start to 
pull all the, 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 the various strands of it together from the Old Testament through the New, we start to see a pattern emerge, a way of thinking and being that the Lord uh, is, in a sense, socializing us into, discipling us into. And so it gets better and better, deeper and deeper, stronger and stronger, just like the life cycle. Now, in the, in the human life cycle, at some point we get old and we, 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 or, or we, we get weak and then we die. But not so spiritually. We, we go from strength to strength. We have those times of plateau, maybe some dips where we've, we've um, had some failures, uh, we've, we've, we've pulled away from God. But ultimately, as we stay in this relationship with Him, it goes up, up, on, on, strong, strong, forever and ever. Amen. It's a powerful development of our, of our personhood. He says, as you admonish one another. Uh, that's a word we don't use much, but the word admonish is a functional word that we actually rely on every day. It's all about coaching and reviewing and debriefing and correcting. This is what every literal coach does. They'll say, hey, that was good, but uh, your form needs some work here. Let's make these adjustments. Or, you know, that's a bad habit. Let's break that habit and, and re, uh, re-pattern how you do that. Uh, every Navy SEAL team from an assignment, every, every, every team in, uh, in doing anything takes time to debrief and say, well, what went right, what went wrong? Hey, don't do that. Or why did you do that? And so uh, sometimes the admonishing is also chastising. Hey, don't do that. Or, hey, how can we build on that? That was a good innovation. How can we then uh, make that normative going forward, right? So the admonishment is an important part of building on teaching. What do you do with what you're learning? That's what admonishment is all about. It's everything from, you can do it, to, why did you do that? And, And what's the point of this teaching and this admonishment? It leads to wisdom. He says, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom... Wisdom is skillfully and artfully applying God's word wisely to regular life situations, both in terms of the immediate, here's what's in front of me, to the long term, who do I want to be, where do I want to go? So you can learn to manage your life, uh, feed yourself spiritually, and then also minister to other people. I love that, that phrase, uh, you know, Heisenberg's uncertainty principle out of physics. Heisenberg was this brilliant scientist in the early middle 20th century. The Heisenberg uncertainty principle is that when you try to, try to uh, focus on a subatomic particles, uh, they move. You, you, just a way of, of measuring or looking at it uh, moves them in their position a little bit. Brilliant. One of the most intelligent insights he ever had was about science itself. He said, science is rooted in conversation. Isn't that brilliant? Science is rooted in conversation as we're exploring the known and unknown world. We're collaborating, not just in doing the research or doing the experimentation, but we're also collaborating and processing what we're seeing or not seeing, what we're learning or not learning. And so life is rooted in conversation. Our, our life in Christ is rooted in conversation. And so as we're learning and we're being admonished or admonishing, we're accruing wisdom. And that's based in an ongoing conversation that allows us to minister God's grace to other people and benefit from their ministry of grace to us. It's about mutuality. Mutuality doesn't mean we walk the same. It just means we walk together. This is powerful. So the first big idea being the message of Jesus demands our attention above all others so that we get the most out of every other message. And that we we can critique and evaluate every message to say, is this the message I want to be internalizing or not? 
Second point being this. In addition to the teaching and admonishing and, and growing in wisdom, God gives us creative ways to embody and express his message in worship. So that's where he, Paul says, and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with gratitude in your hearts. You might not be a singer. You might think, well, I don't have a voice. I, I, I'm not a good singer. I don't like to sing. It's awkward to sing. In our culture, we're not used to just spontaneously singing. But in certain situations in sporting, at sporting events and other public gatherings, sometimes singing becomes a really important thing. In some cultures, this is really well developed. In our culture, not so much. But you notice in the culture of worship everywhere, singing becomes super important. Why? Because it's another way of expressing what we're learning processing what we're understanding in Christ. It's a way of expressing in a way that goes beyond just saying it, thank you, to singing our things, or, or praise you God, to praising him in, in song, hearing other people sing and, and then joining in with them. Uh, this is a very powerful thing. I'm not going to say much about that other than that, that singing the word is a creative complement to studying the word. If we study the word, it gets even more profound as we learn to sing the word. In, on your own, if you're singing a worship song or a hymn, uh, if you're in a, in a worship gathering. I remember years ago, uh, sitting in, in uh, uh, the Coliseum in L.A., and I've also done this sitting in, the, uh, uh, in Angel Stadium, where uh, I, I've been in these situations with tens of thousands of other men, in this case, and we're singing these hymns and songs of praise, it's the most amazing thing I've ever experienced. You hear that many men, you know, 30, 40,000 men singing praises to God. Men of every race and age and stage. Oh my gosh. It gives you goosebumps. It inspires you. It enlarges your heart. It opens your mind. You talk about reconciliation among races and, and generations. There it was. This, this idea that God gives us creative ways to embody and express his message in worship comes out of his word. Why? Because that's the authoritative foundational place. We get truth and we identify beauty and goodness and wisdom. So the first point, the message of Jesus demands our attention above all others. The second point is that God gives us creative ways to embody and express his message in worship. And then the third point would be this. The message of Jesus' authority and power goes with us into every part of life. The message of Jesus' authority and power goes into us and is integrated into our being and then goes with us wherever we go. It's a part of who we are, how we now see the world, how we now process the world, how we do what we do from the simplest tasks to the most complicated challenges. The Word of God prepares us to do it at a level that goes beyond a mere skill or competence. It becomes, in its own way, redemptive and transformational. It's a wonderful mystery that we can actually apply every day. And so he says, and whatever you do, in 317, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, it's not just the, 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 this name Jesus as if it's some kind of a talisman, some kind of a you know, magic word, abracadabra. Uh, in in Jesus' day, lots of people were named Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua. 
No, the name of Jesus is more than simply the name Jesus, because even Jesus is the Greek version of his Hebrew name. But the name of Jesus means the authority, the integrity, the sovereignty of who Jesus is and what Jesus does. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus and give thanks to God the Father through him. Why? Because he's our Lord. He's our Savior. He's our friend. It's not like we run around saying Jesus' name. It's that we, in Jesus' name, we have our being. We have a a solid place to stand in a world that's very unsolid at times. In an ever-changing world, we have this consistent, continuous presence of the one who made the world and who, who is redeeming it. I love the way Eugene Peterson translated Colossians 3, uh, 16 to 17 in the Message Bible. And, and actually, before I read it to you, I want to just say, Eugene Peterson was, was an amazing American uh, pastor, scholar, who died a few years ago. Uh, he grew up in Montana, in a hard scrabble small town in Montana. Uh, he was a, obviously a genius of a guy, uh, a profound introvert. Uh, and, and as he grew in his faith and uh, went to university, felt compelled uh, to study theology. Along the way, though, he was recruited by a man named William Albright, who is the, the father of modern, modern American archaeology. Uh, Albright was a giant in the 20th century. And so William Albright uh, saw the potential in, in Eugene Peterson and drafted him to, to become a PhD student and to teach Greek and, and Hebrew and to uh, uh, prepare for a career in academia. And that's what Eugene Peterson was committed to. He was a wonderful scholar. At the same time, God was doing a work in him to make him feel like, okay, I think I'm more than a scholar. I want to be a pastor. And so Eugene Peterson started uh, a lifetime career of being a pastor in a small church uh, through his uh, mid-late 60s. But along the way, uh, because of that scholarly bent, he, uh, and he loved to write, he started writing books. And they were biblical and theological and practical all at the same time. And when he, he wrapped up his pastoral ministry, he was offered the opportunity to translate the Bible into a more dynamic um, vernacular version for modern Bible readers, for, for people who maybe had gotten tired of reading the Bible or didn't read the Bible. And so he actually took on a word-for-word translation from the original languages, but put it in a very dynamic form that anybody reading it would, would be able to engage and that's what we call the Message Bible. And if you haven't read it, uh, Google it. It's a fantastic translation. So it's not a paraphrase. It's not a loosey-goosey thoughts from Eugene Peterson. It's an absolute, credible, scholarly, academic, but socially, culturally relevant translation of the Bible. So here's what he does with Colossians three sixteen to 17. He says, let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other. He's actually incorporating verse 15 in this too. Let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other, in step with each other. None of this going off and doing your own thing. And cultivate thankfulness. Let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Instruct and direct one another using good common sense. And sing, sing your hearts out to God. Let every detail in your lives, words, actions, whatever, be done in the name of the Master, Jesus, 
thanking God the Father every step of the way. I hope this resonates with you. What a wonderful uh, translation of, of this passage. We read it originally in the New International Version, which is a very fine standard translation. And I love this dynamic translation in the message from Eugene Peterson. So uh, let me ask you this question. Who are you walking with in your journey with Jesus? None of this going off and doing your own thing. It doesn't work. At least it doesn't work very well for very long. Who are you walking with in your journey with Jesus? His message comes to us in and through community. I, I love when I hear that, that kids have learned the message of Jesus from their mom and dad. Often that's not the case. Why? Because mom and dad want the child to know it, but they're assuming the child is learning it in Sunday school. But parents are the primary pastors to their children. Sunday school is super important. Church is essential. Youth groups, life-changing. Campus groups for university students, phenomenal. But the primary people that God has, instruct, has instructed to equip the saints for ministry and to create disciples are parents. And add to that grandparents and aunts and uncles and family members who are believers, who, who build into, speak into uh, children, uh, a knowledge of God and a practical demonstration of what that looks like. What a blessing if you were raised in that family. Most people I know weren't. So how about in our families? Why don't we do this? Why don't we take that primary responsibility knowing that, that all of us thrive and flourish in community and the primary community is the home. Now if you're a single parent, it works for you to do this. And you can enlist other family members or friends to help you do this with your kids. And you want to find ways to do it very naturally at bedtime, at dinner time. Casual times you say, hey, I've been reading this thing in the Bible. What do you think? Giving kids their own little Bible when they're small so that as they learn to read, they're reading the Word of God. And you read a little bit of the Bible with them every day. And so when a child is, is raised in that environment, as they get older, it doesn't feel awkward or weird. And mom and dad aren't trying to force anything on them. They're just simply collaborating with them at that point in processing what we're all learning from the Word of God. How great for, for kids to see their parents reading the Bible. Or when a kid asks a parent a question, the parent doesn't sound like an all-time authority, neatly summarizing everything in the Bible, but rather they're saying, well, this is how I understand that from God's Word. In fact, right here it says this. And I'm, I'm in a journey of learning what that means every day, processing this. So a child realizes that this is an ongoing process, experience of unpacking God's Word. It's a dynamic Word. So we don't want to oversimplify it to where a kid says, I've outgrown that. We want to be able to start that conversation that allows us to continue the conversation with our children. And of course we want to do that with our, our peers. Life groups are all about this. People coming together to say, well, so what are you learning? What are you reading? How's it going? Where are you struggling? How can I pray for you? What does God's word have to say about this or that? So family, friends, other influencers guide us to Jesus and walk with us in Jesus' name. And we can be those guides for other people. As I said, we don't walk the same, but we can walk together. And so does, so does his message have the full run of your house? Your house as in your life, but then your house as in where you live. Is it not a heavy-handed, oppressive, oh, dear God, more Bible, but rather, oh, Lord, thank you for the Bible, because it permeates this house. We are set free by the liberating word of God in this house. As for me and my house, we thank God for his word. And, and as we help our kids internalize this, and as we internalize this, wherever we go, we take it with us. 
So are you giving plenty of room in your life for the Word of God? Are you committed to the Word? Or like the ancient, funny, uh, acerbic Carmudgeon W.C. Fields, uh, on, on his, his deathbed, uh, somebody walked into his room and there found him reading the Bible. They said, you of all people, you're reading the Bible? He said, yeah, I'm looking for loopholes. Having neglected it all my life and now at death's door, I want to see if there's any way I can get in on it. So are you committed to it or simply looking for loopholes? Or are you avoiding it altogether? You have plenty of room in your life for God's Word. That is make room for it. Don't give room as if I'm going around it and avoiding it. COVID has disrupted and disconnected us, but we're in a new season. So maybe make this a new season to reconnect with the Lord in a fresh way through His Word as you reconnect with people in a fresh way. And we need to strengthen and reestablish connections with God and people coming out of this COVID thing. What will that look like for you? What will that require of you? Probably scheduling it into your life. Don't just assume that you'll make time to read the Bible. Carve out time to read the Bible. Don't just assume you'll make time for family members. Carve time out for your kids. Have a date with your spouse. Have a date with your kids. Make time to send notes, emails, texts to your friends. Create times to get together with your friends, even if it's just for a quick cup of coffee or chat. This new season gives us new opportunities to reconnect in deep and meaningful ways. So what's your post-COVID plan? If you don't plan, it won't happen. What would it look like for his message to dwell richly in you doing all that you do? If in your head, in your heart, the Word of God was dwelling in you richly, what impact would that have on how you function at work with your kids, with your spouse, with your neighbors, with your friends? How would it maybe speak into your views socially, politically, economically? For you to say, Lord, help me to see this world through your eyes, through your Word, through your Spirit. Next week we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit the power of God in us to allow us to appropriate His Word and to apply it wisely as we, as we move through the world. But unless we have the content of God's Word, uh, it's pretty hard for the Holy Spirit to, to work in us if we're resisting the very content of God's revelation to us. One final thing I want to ask you to do. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing our church be able to resume being a church in a more normative way. Uh, this morning, because of weather uh, we didn't meet on the lawn. We met indoors. We just kind of cleared everything out, and uh, we gathered together in this in this space. Uh, and we hope to do more of that uh, going forward. Uh, we want to reconnect with each other and reconnect with the community around us. We want to really get back on track with our mission, helping everyday people walk with Jesus every day. And so this year is critical for us. We want to open our arms wide to new generations of people. And so I'm asking you this. Uh, will you be praying for our church? It's been a crisis year through COVID, but we're not in a crisis, but we have a sense of deep urgency. We want to get this right coming out of COVID. So would you be praying for the church? And would you be praying for your part in it? We'll be talking about this in the weeks and months ahead. San Diego needs a message of Christ just as we each need the message of Christ. And we as a church have a, an important role to play as does every church in this community. So please be praying for our church 
post-COVID. And be praying for every church in San Diego. And that we can have an impact in Jesus' name that will allow people to come alive in a way they've never felt alive before. So Lord Jesus, that's my hope, my prayer for me, for my family, for this congregation, for our community, that your word would be uh, in the house, dwelling richly among us, that we'd be learning how to teach it, to discuss it, to reflect on it, to apply it with deep wisdom as we, as we teach and admonish wisely. Help us, Lord, to give, give heart and voice uh, to what you're doing in us as we worship you in songs and, and hymns and spiritual songs. Lord, thank you for all the wonderful ways uh, you're, you're working in us and through us uh, to conform us uh, to you, to transform us into the people we were meant to be, people with compassion and a heart for others, people who are generous, people who are willing to serve others in Jesus' name, people who are doing creative things with a sense that uh, you're giving us the capacity to do those things. So Lord, that's my prayer. And we pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you that you might reflect his glory in practical ways wherever you go, just by being you in him. May the Lord give you everything you need to walk with him in newness and fullness of life and to walk with his people in deep community, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.